Hello, and welcome back to Relevant Tones. This is your host, Austin Williams. Yes, I am back. Hope you didn't miss me too much. I am sure, and I know that our friend Stephen was taking care of you guys last week. We have another excellent interview for you guys today. Um, I will be joined by the wonderful Amanda DeBoer Bartlett. Um, Amanda DeBoer Bartlett has championed new music of uh, ranging varieties, um, and we learn a lot about this path that she's taken. This new album takes a step away from the new music scene and actually takes a step towards the singer-songwriter world. But you can really hear the new music and experimental influence throughout the album through really interesting um, production and use of instrumentation and vocal techniques and everything else that's involved with it. Um, the name of the album is The Bones Still Glow, and I had an excellent interview with Amanda talking about it. Um So before we jump into that, I'm going to uh, shamelessly promote our Patreon. Uh, Please go check us out at Relevant Tones on uh, Patreon.com. And let's jump into the interview. All right. I am joined by Amanda DeBoer Bartlett. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thanks. Of course. Um, Amanda is or has uh, just released a new album uh, and this has been like a 16-year project or something like that, right? Unintentionally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be anything. Oh, yeah. And I compiled a bunch of material that I had been writing since my undergraduate days and realized that I, I had enough for an album. So I, I decided to finally do something with it. That's really exciting. Um, I love hearing about actually those kinds of projects from uh people because it's always funny to kind of dig up your skeletons or maybe it's not always funny but it's like interesting to do that and like see what comes out of it well we have all these delineations that sometimes we impose them on ourselves and sometimes they're uh just sort of inherent to how the music industry works where you feel sometimes like a performer or a writer or an administrator whatever it is and I really pigeonholed myself as a performer for so many reasons. Sure, sure. And uh, I, I think part of it was for various incident, uh, experiences in my life, I finally started to give myself permission to call myself a writer, yeah. which I had been doing it through my whole life. Concurrently with being a performer, I had been writing, but I didn't have a degree in it. Sure. So I didn't think I was allowed to call myself that. <laughs> Uh, so on that note, I mean, maybe more the performance side, um, it's amazing to see the plethora of, or rather just the diversity of genre and style that you have gone through in your performance. And I think that comes through a lot in this album with all the different styles that are there. But um, I'm interested on your personal journey as um, as a vocalist on how like the multiple style or different styles that you went through and what that was like Mm -hmm. yeah I'm still I'm still trying to figure out how they all come together as well but (laughs) you know I I grew up on some pretty boilerplate stuff um radio pop country and musical theater yeah and saw my first opera when I moved to Chicago for college and um that was a pretty revelatory experience and and then went so far into the classical side that I, I really pushed down all of the folk 
and um, musical theater interests to um, really build that craft. I mean, it, it really sure. took all of me to develop that classical craft, went into the contemporary music thing, went very experimental yeah. in my late 20s and early 30s <laughs> to an almost unrecognizable degree and have started to come back toward the middle, bringing all of it with me, bringing the experimental approach. I, I really love improvising. And I think that that's yeah. the thing that I loved most about going into the experimental world is that improvising um, feels so dangerous and silly. And I love that. Yeah. So bringing that into the songwriting process and also into my performance atmosphere has been very liberating in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting to me. You're not the first guest I've had on here that has um, kind of this background in experimental music or otherwise, or they studied that side of it. Um, and then they kind of bring it in to a more um, singer-songwriter style. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we see that within a lot of other groups, um, just... Um, naming one off the top of my head, like Boney Bear and that like this kind of stuff is just like you, you have these individuals that started off as like, um, and maybe the, it's like inversely started off as like singer songwriter. Then they went more into like this experimental realm. Um, but with all that being said, there's like definitely this weird Venn diagram area where they can like <laughs> live together. <laughs> For sure. And I think it's because it's so personal and idiosyncratic. Sure. Not that it's always, it's not always necessarily emotional or psychological, but it it's very personal. And I feel like the experimental world is often about working something out. Sure. Like yeah. getting kind of hooked on something and trying to figure it out. And I feel like songwriting is the same thing mm. where it's like, man, that was a, that was a really bad experience, but what was it really about? <laughs> and yeah. so they both have that in common, kind of how like, the early music dorks and the new music dorks, there's a lot of crossover there. Right. Because right. I feel like those folks really want to get it right mm. and be at the height of technique. Yeah. And I can I can relate to that as well. I relate more to the experimental let's work shit out thing. Yeah, yeah. And less to the technique thing, but although that's still a huge part of, of my performance life. The world 
pocket full of scum. The world is a wasteland of boys. It's happened here to me. Like you said before, it's like whether you want to call it like obsession or passion, like that's definitely a large part of it. And like this, um, maybe you're it can be detrimental, like to a point where you're not willing to settle on something. But also, um, <laughs> there's a good amount of uh, new music where you're just throwing paint against the wall and seeing what sticks. And that's For part of sure. the process. And you have to be willing to just do something that doesn't work. With all of it, with all, I mean, with all of our, I mean, not to just Mm -hmm. like throw platitudes around. Nobody wants a podcast about that, but, (laughs) but I, I think that for the songwriting piece of it and the very experimental music, you have to let go of, of that, um, that result, that result oriented thing. Yeah. You have to let go of your guarantees. And I got a little, um, comfortable, I think in the new music world, letting it be about the composer yeah, and making it not my fault <laughs> if it didn't work. It's like, well, that composer just doesn't know what they're doing. And then I started writing my own stuff and it's like, oh, maybe I don't know what I'm doing either. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that, that aspect of it, of the throwing paint against the wall. Yeah. Totally. People have different comfort levels with that. Right. And it's, I mean, Going into a career or a, a focus of new music is um, not a thank. <laughs> it's not very uh, thankful, um, and uh, we commend those who do. And um, us who write are very thankful for those who do it. But um, at the end of the day, it's you're you're just trying your best to like um, share an idea with an individual and like have have this like collaboration or conversation with them. Um, it's so it's interesting to me that you were I mean I think a lot of people were made this way you start off more in the the pop realm or whatever and then you kind of go into classical and you go into the deep dive of it um was during like the classical like deep dive or your studies with that was this other singer songwriter stuff always kind of in the background like would you listen to it like kind of casually to kind of ground yourself or was it something you what was your relationship with it during that time yeah, I was still always listening to the same stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. think I ever really gave myself over fully to the classical thing. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I was listening to some classical in high school. Like I was listening to some of the big opera singers, Sylvia McNair and all that. But of I, I don't, I'm not a type of person to, to focus very easily. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, I think I was always listening to whatever, whatever was kind of coming into my, um, into my sphere. And I was probably listening to some of the, I mean, I'm from Omaha. So of course, yeah. like bright eyes and Conor yeah. just like <laughs> omnipresent and, and, uh, so all, all of that stuff was part of it. And then I, I went to a, like a Barnes and Noble at some point yeah. and started poking through the folk section uh-huh. and started, cause I grew up on radio country. Yeah. I did not grow up on folk music. The closest I got to that was Alice and Krauss. So sure. like pop bluegrass. Mm-hmm. And then I started listening to some of the old folkways stuff. And so sort of like late undergrad is where I started to um, discover more of that for myself. And in my master's recital, I had just like the coolest teacher ever. And so I did a combination of classical and new music and Woody Guthrie tunes on that recital. And (laughs) that, that that felt like a big permission slip to just let myself like things. And we all have that moment too, where we, where we're not, right. in school. we finally realize we're not, you know, we get to be who we want to be and, and we get to like what we want to like. So that happened for me yeah. in sort of my early twenties. Yeah, degree. for sure. academia you know likes to create this bubble that we 
you know, don't peer outside of them or inside of it. So, um, being able to have grounded individuals that are like listening to things outside of that bubble is always so refreshing. Um, and I can think of like personal mentors that were of mine that were like that too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like you like anything you can really, um, dig yourself into a hole and sometimes it's hard to get out of, but, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a distillation of what a music career sometimes feels like too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, the, the, but the incentives are different. Like in school, it's your grade and a sort of like mentor-mentee relationship, which can be toxic at times or very supportive. I lucked out with my teachers on yeah. so many levels. Yeah. And um, and then you get into the, the, the outside the academic world and the incentives are money or mm. I don't know if when people care about fame. They don't go into new music if they care about fame. Yeah. <laughs> Right. The incentive structure is different, but it still kind of feels like you get that that hit of like, oh, okay, people like that. Yeah. I should do that all the time. Right. Pe- right. I got a lot of positive feedback from that thing, whether it was like checking my Bandcamp artist listens or whatever it is. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go toward that thing Yeah. instead of allowing yourself to still breathe uh, um, from a genre perspective. Yeah. And this, I, you know, this circles back really well to what we were just talking about, like the, um, you know, the, the passion or the obsession or that, that aspect of it. Like you start to see, um, when, once you start scratching the surface and you start to see how other people are like interacting with it, that's even more incentive than for, um, you to like continue creating and continue like being part of that because you see yourself as a part of it or like you're a piece in that puzzle of like how these mm-hmm. things can happen. And yeah, no, totally. That's, um, that's really cool. It's really cool. Um, okay. Excellent. So you have a new album out that we just mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Uh, but this, the name of the album is the bones still grow. Sorry. The bones still glow. <laughs> um, <laughs> So let's talk about it. I mean, you I swear to God, you go through about five different styles and areas in this album, and it's so cool to go <laughs> through and listen to it. So um, thank you. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that because I started later as a songwriter, yeah i I don't know who I am as a songwriter yet. Yeah. So in some ways it feels like a really young album, but I, it's like, I've had success in other parts of my career. Yeah. So I'm like mid career or whatever, um, semi established as a performer, but then as a songwriter, I'm still like figuring it all out. And so I just didn't put any rules on it. Yeah. And I think some of the things that I had to allow myself, like it's interesting. I had to allow myself to be tonal. Yeah. (laughs) Just say, no, it's okay to write a song with three chords. (laughs) And, um, I, it probably a lot of songwriters feel this way. It's like, I, I am desperate to express myself Mm-hmm. but I also don't want anyone to know anything about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. it's that tension, but th- it's alleviated when I say I'm just writing a folk song or yeah. 
it's not about me. I just like this melody. Yeah. And so I'd let myself kind of explore those little micro universes as their own individual things and not put this pressure on myself to like have a concept album with these like motifs that return and and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Sure. Sure. I think it's great to have this idea of like less is more. Um, Mm -hmm. and coming from like a new music background, that's sometimes a hard thing to wrap your head around because like Mm -hmm. maximalism is a common aesthetic within new music. Um, well, and I got so much going back to that positive feedback thing. Yeah. Yeah. My late twenties, I was really doing all of that, like 15 staves for a single instrument kind of music, that Uh hyper complexity, Aaron Cassidy kind of stuff. And getting so much positive feedback for just going so far into the hyper-technical, extremely complex thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And coming away from that, it, so being going from that to the songwriter thing and writing the simpler tunes, um, there there was some insecurity there. The 
inclination to overthink um something or another uh if you're if you're not used to it me never (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i mean what i think really was the savior for this album and i think this is the case often is my collaborators yeah were so just like intuitive and smart and experienced Mm-hmm. And my producer, Dana Murray, he comes from the jazz world mm-hmm. and he's played with so many heavy hitters as a drummer and just he knows style. He knows style. He he listens so broadly. And um, yeah. so I'd come in with something and his his brain would go in a totally different direction than my mine would. Like with the um, with the tune Catch and Release, which is like the jazziest one on the yeah. album. Yeah. You got to get my buddy Gil on there, Gil Goldstein. He just has a totally like you need accordion. I'm like, I would have never <laughs> bought accordion. And it, it's just like, yeah, that's exactly that's like exactly it. So all of the players on the album, there's different levels of, you know, notated versus improvised on yeah, the album. Yeah. That was actually uh, that was going to be a question of mine, actually, how much of it was uh, noted out or um, conceived that way. But um because the layers are so intricate or like so lush and thought out, but I also know that sometimes um, you you make something, then you go back and listen to it, and then you're like, oh, but it needs this like extra extra something in there, or take it away, like never mind, don't want that. <laughs> yeah, this was definitely a slow cooked stew, sure, for sure. I yeah. mean, it was you know a long an ad hoc unintentional writing process. So finding the ways to bring it all together took a lot of consideration yeah. and it was a pandemic. And and so Dana had the studio in his basement and I just go into the ISO booth and we'd communicate through wow. headset and all that. And we just work and we had all this time and I only had one child at the time and she took <laughs> naps then. So oh my God. <laughs> I'd go over there and we could just like really, we treated it like a laboratory that's so cool. So yeah. that was like this. I I totally was such a luxurious experience, and now no one has time for anything again. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of it was like with the bones still glow. That track, um, that was all the flute parts were notated out except for the noisy section, mm-hmm. where I just went in and wailed on a bunch of multiphonics. That's so and cool. And then we mashed it all together. So yeah, it it's often kind of a hybrid situation with the with the instrumental parts Ta-da. 
I'm just looking here. I mean, it looks like you have about 11 other collaborators on this album. And that's really, I mean, given your experience in the music world and you're, you know, obviously you got people in your pocket and that's so cool to be able to just be like, Hey, I got this cool project going on. Can you come in, lay something down or, you know, whatever it is. So, um, and it, and it speaks to just the, the diversity in every track. I, you know, that was the fun part about listening to this because I listened to the first track. I was like, okay, Listen, the second I was like, well, that was different. So it made me, I was like, well, what's the third one? And I'm like, well, that was different too. So <laughs> it's like, it's just this wonderful, and, and none, none of it's bad. And I mean that so sincerely. All of it's well, thank great. You, thank <laughs> you. I know, I know. And I'm sure you have this experience when you're writing a piece where you sit down, you finally get to the double bar and you're like, that's not what I thought I was going to write. Sure. It's just like. I had I would go in thinking like oh I want this to be this thing mm-hmm. and I had a whole concept and a whole other title picked out and like yeah. several other songs that didn't make it on yeah and even in from a from a microscopic level like every sound that I pictured turned out to be something else and I, I think that um, I tend to be from that improviser standpoint, totally willing to follow every path. And Dana was that way too, yeah. sometimes to our own detriment. Cause you know, you just yeah. start to like, you go down a lot of uh, dead ends. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, actually one of the most tremendous experiences and transformative things for me about making this was from a vocal technique standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Talk because about that. You might have noticed that it's like a really understated vocal style. Mm-hmm. Very few sort of belty moments. Yeah. And really not much classical technique at all, except possibly the sort of echoey background vocal on the opening track. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Dana and I discovered something called the birthday voice. 
it took a long time. So he, he used to tour with like Nora Jones and stuff like that. So sure. that's the vocalist he has in his mind. Yeah. And I was trained by big old opera singers. Yeah. So more, 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 more is more. Put those vocal cords all the way together and throw all your air into it. You need to sing for 8,000 people right. without a microphone. So that's yeah. like such a disconnect. And Dana and I went back and forth on that so much. And he, he, he really kept on it like, you're doing too much. Trust me, <laughs> this is not the natural thing. I promise you. Yeah. Less, 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 less. Just strip it down, strip it down, strip it down. And finally, one day I was like, this guy is driving me effing crazy. I'm going to go so far with this that he's going to tell me that I'm not doing enough. And that's the vocal that's on Tiger. Yeah, okay. And it just sounds like the saddest Radiohead like <laughs> get this girl yeah on. yeah no get this no girl kidding to therapy kind of voice. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and it actually it like I listened to it and I was like oh that's super interesting so I guess that's the one through line through the album is that like I was trying really hard not to oversing yeah because I'm like Bernadette Peters was my ultimate goddess hero everything like jazz hands all the way i'm gonna <laughs> everything is full-blown liza minnelli yeah so to, <laughs> to strip it down like that yeah. felt so freaky like, i bet like very, weirdly weirdly humbling too in a way because you're you've again you you were trained to in this very like specific type of voice and then you're like oh to do this other kind of voice i really have to over i have to rethink everything Oh, you when I 
people about this kind of thing in the past in my very arrogant like no Billie Eilish that's not real singing uh, and now she's another idol of mine I'm like hell yeah that's singing yeah so yeah. it's just like he totally like would not everything else he was like you want that all right that's cool let's do it sure sure but with that one thing he's like I just I promise you that there's another way yeah <laughs> and so I called it the birthday voice because it felt really naked, like your birthday suit. Oh, okay. And I just felt so naked singing like that. Yeah. But now I listen to some demos and stuff like that, and I feel like, girl, why are you working so hard? Yeah, yeah. Chill, chill out. Uh. So I think there's a, I think there's a middle ground. Like, if you know, writing new songs, I I feel like sometimes the under undersung thing or the the birthday thing yeah is the right thing and sometimes i want to like unleash a little bit more yeah. but that that was a that was a f really fun thing to discover through this so do you think like the journey of finding that I, i'll call it new voice or that birthday voice has as you if you write new songs or as you continue to write more songs like has it made you rethink how you want to go about that or like you know because we all hear when we're writing something, we hear the tampers in our head and like how they're going to mesh or whatever. But now you have this new tamper and how you're dealing with that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, like you hear a technique and a, and a, and a melody will come to your mind. I'm sure, I'm sure that happens to a lot of people, probably you too. Like you hear an instrument make a sound that you haven't heard from that instrument and, mm -hmm. and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you could do a piece about that. Yeah. And it's sort of that Marshall McLuhan thing, right? The medium is the message. And, yeah. and I feel like the the technique of the voice is the message of the voice in so many ways. Um, yeah. And not exclusively the voice, but that just in that context. And it it does so much of the work for you. Like, so I would feel sometimes like my lyrics were a little hammy or a little thin or, or something. Sure. And the technique would fill in the gap of mm. what I was trying to communicate. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like all, you know, really good singer songwriters. It really is the combination of like the, the poetry and the, the way it's sung, you know, 
kind of telling that full story together that way. And I think a lot of songwriters have felt like their voice. Well, you hear a lot of, of songwriters talk about how they wrote for their voice. Yeah. Because they felt like their voice had limitations. So they just wrote around them. And then right. it became like such a signature style. And then people were imitating that style. But it was really because they were trying to work around what their voice technically was predisposed to. Right. And you, you work with what you got, right? So that's, that's just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> we're all just making it up. Right.
declining to hope to launch it on the eighth day so we can be maneuvering you today. We plan to do that in about two hours or so. Sounds excellent. Like a, a fun discovery through this process is yeah. like working with instrumentalists who are so talented. I didn't realize how intimidating that is. Mm, yeah. So just, just feeling like not that everyone needs to both write and perform, but it really does give you a lot of empathy for you know, like now every time I show up to some university and there's some 20 year old writing their first piece for yeah. like my professional ass new music group, like to come at that with like, I I feel like I've always been, you know, the good cop in all these situations anyway. Yeah. Yeah. To come at that with a different level of grace and understanding yeah, yeah. is I, I think a very healthy thing. And I think everyone should try to like organize shows also just so that you have like a little more grace for the venues and the people that like, make these things happen like as many aspects of the process of creation and production that you can be part of yeah it's just make you a more well-rounded person more empathetic and, yeah um, yeah bring that depth of understanding to everything that you do i think you opened your door and you gave me a key i slept on your couch I drank your coffee, I rummaged your books, and I played with your cat. Put my bags in your nooks, and I borrowed your hat. I remember the day your whole place filled with flowers, and all of the times that I cried in your shower. I can still smell the eucalyptus. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so you have a release party for this coming up soon, right? Correct. Uh, March 18th. There it is. Saturday. Yes. Excellent. Um, who's, who else is on that concert with you? M Spell, who is um, the artist name of Emma Hospelhorn. She's ah. a flute player for Down the Ente and also a fantastic songwriter. Really reminds me of sort of like early to mid-career Paul Simon oh. <laughs> and uh, very like with like more witchy qualities to it. Yeah. And yeah. then um, she has a band with her partner, Eric and Mabel Kwan who plays keyboards at Daliente. Mm. And then um, Mason Jix is uh, the band of Mary Lawson who is from Omaha. And she, has like this mix of like 
Erica Badu and Meredith Monk oh, kind of cool. going on. Yeah. And she does these like long stretching minimalist keyboard things. Okay. But then like, you know, sings about a shitty boyfriend. <laughs> so it's like that kind of like electric mix of things. And yeah. she's going to be, they're going to be doing a mini tour. And um, so I think she's, she's going to have, you know, like a four or five piece. Sure. Um, performing. So she'll be opening and she's got, she's got a live album up on Bandcamp That's really fun. Um, so yeah, so that'll be, so just be okay. a, a three band. We're going to do little quick sets and, Great. and, uh, hang out and have some fun. Um, is yeah. this at Constellation? Correct. At Constellation. Cool. March 18th. And uh, my first time doing a Saturday at Constellation, they usually really put us new music weirdos on the Sunday nights. Ooh. So I feel pretty pumped about that. That is pretty <laughs> sick, actually. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Yes, excellent indeed. Um, I really hope you enjoyed your time with me talking with Amanda about her album and her journey with music. It's always so interesting to hear about artists that pivot or go towards a different direction that they're not necessarily known for. Um, and I myself have just been listening to this album pretty frequently. Um, we conducted the interview earlier this week, or last week rather, and I think I've listened to it one time every day since then. So please go check it out. It's available on all streaming services. If you're feeling uh, generous, it's on um, her band camp, Amanda DeBoer Bartlett. Um, show her some love, um, buy the album digitally, and I'm sure it really helps the artists as we know so until next time i'm your host austin williams this is relevant tones and go check us out on patreon Um, we're beginning to have a few things on there to offer in terms of um, support so we would appreciate it. And if you f- uh, feel like you really enjoy this programming, it helps us keep the lights on. So go check it out. Uh, and also, as always, um, this is a product of Access Contemporary Music. Please learn more at acmusic.org. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks. <laughs>